If you have your Bibles, you can open them to 1 Peter uh, chapter 2, uh, verses 11 and 12. We're going to be picking it up uh, tonight where we left off last week. But what I would like to do before we jump into these two verses is just recap what we went over last week. If we remember in verses 9 and 10, we find Peter taking what is said to be true about the identity of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, and he's now applying it, that identity, to the New Testament church. He called them a chosen, roi- a cho- chosen race, excuse me, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. He was describing them as a people who were at one time a people in darkness and ignorant to the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel, but have now become, because of the great mercy of God, they have become a people of honor and privilege. And he goes on to say that all of this was done so that as the people of God, we could proclaim the excellencies of him who saved us. In short, our primary purpose as born-again believers in Jesus Christ is to make much of him and what he has done for us. As we enjoy and rejoice in our newfound identity as the children of God and co-heirs with Christ, we are to make much of our triune God. Now, what Peter is going to do is he's going to take all that wonderful grace and all that wonderful truth in verses 9 and 10, and he's going to use it to exhort us to adopt a way of life in verses 11 and 12. Now, it's important to understand that what he will be exhorting us to do is something that should flow out of our identity, those, those great uh, titles and, 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 and uh, descriptive words that Peter mentions in 9.10, this, this exhortation now should flow out of, of our new identity, those, those descriptives. I'll put it like this, because of who we are, because of what God has done for us and to us, this is now how we should live as God's people. But none of what we are going to be talking about here tonight is do this so God will love us or do this so God will accept us. No, never that. It is do this because God does love us. He has loved us in Jesus Christ. And do this now because God does accept it. We are accepted in Jesus Christ now. Therefore now go and be the people of God that you are. Live out your identity in Christ and put it on display for all of the world to see. So let's pick it up in verse 11. Let me follow along as I read. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. First thing I'd like to bring to our attention is that Peter, who just a couple of verses after calling his audience chosen and royal and holy and all those great things that pointed to them and their great privilege and honor in Christ, Peter now reminds them once again that because they have been transferred from a kingdom of darkness and placed into a kingdom of marvelous light, they will now live in this world as sojourners and exiles. 
this, brothers and sisters, this is also who we are. We are all those things in verses 9 and 10. But we are also sojourners and exiles in this world. We are people who may, for the time being, call this place home, but we know that we are never truly at home here. We are a people who are passing through. We're on a journey to our true home. Our citizenship isn't ultimately tied to any earthly nation, but it is and will forever be found in the heavenly kingdom with Christ Jesus as our king. So we embrace the title of sojourner. We embrace the title of exile, elect exile, because we know that there is more to our existence than what we experience in the here and now. We've been transformed by the truth of the gospel, and we know that there is an eternity that awaits us. And that eternity, in that eternity, there is a treasure, a treasure so precious and an inheritance so valuable that nothing on this earth could ever compare. That treasure, that inheritance, is eternity with Christ himself. So we don't get too comfortable here because we know we are simply passing through. We're on a pilgrim, pilgrimage and our final destination isn't so much a place as it is a person. We're heading home to the open arms of Jesus. So as sojourners and exiles, as citizens of a different nation living far removed from our true home, how then are we to live and relate to others during our exile? We are to live lives that, as a chosen race, as a royal priesthood, and as a holy nation, bring glory to our God. Remember that? Making much of him. We are to commend the gospel by how we live. And the first step in doing that is to wage war. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, the sinful nature, which wage war against your soul. See, because sin is waging war on our souls, we wage war on sin. This battle against the sinful nature, which still resides in us, is a, is a mark of the Christian life. Because of who we are now in Christ, because of our new identity, we are called to go to war with sin. And this is a war that will go on until we get home. The Puritan John Owen says in his book, The Mortification of Sin, when sin lets us alone, we may let sin alone. But sin is always active when it seems to be the most quiet. And its waters are often deep when they are calm. We should therefore fight against it and be vigorous at all times and in all conditions, even when there is the least suspicion. 
There is not a day but sin foils or is foiled, prevails or is prevailed upon. It will always be so while we live in this world. Sin will not spare for one day. There is no safety but in a constant warfare for those who desire deliverance from sin's perplexing rebellion. Brothers and sisters, hear me clearly when I say this. Our battle, our war, is not against the non-believers or the mockers or the enemies of the Lord and His gospel. In fact, they are a mission field. Our battle rages inside of us. We go to war against our own sinful desires and we seek to put them to death by the power of the Holy Spirit which lives inside of us. But here's our assurance. Because Christ went to war with sin and death and won the battle, we know that we can have victory through Christ over our sinful nature, which still tries to fight for control of our souls. So we don't go into battle not knowing what may come. No. We know that the victory is ours through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus. So that emboldens us evermore to fight against our sin and kill it. So I know that you're probably thinking, well, how do I do this, Mike? How do I wage war on my sin? How do I put it to death? 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of our Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You want to wage war against sin and put it to death? you're going to need to behold the glory of Jesus Christ and look to Him as your hope. You want to be transformed? Look to Jesus Christ and trust in His finished work. The gospel is not just necessary for salvation. It's necessary for sanctification. We never outgrow our need to be reminded of the gospel Daily, we need to put our trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We will forever, on this side of eternity, have to come with the open hands of faith and say, I need you, Jesus. I need your perfect obedience. I need your substitutionary death. I need your resurrection power. I need your grace and your mercy poured out onto my life daily. So please, Jesus, by your grace, take my sin, take my pride, take my lust, take my anger, take my bitterness, take my need to always be in control. Take it all from me, Lord, and kill it. Replace it with more of you, Jesus, because you are better. Jesus, you are better. Again, John Owen says, Love for Christ because he went to the cross and then hate for sin that sent him there is the solid foundation for true spiritual mortification. 
And mortification is just a fancy word for killing of sin. Christian, the more you look to Christ and see Him as more lovely and more beautiful, the more you will despise and hate the sin that made His death necessary. Peter goes on to say in verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, I will say based on what I see here, we also commend the gospel by the way we live or conduct ourselves in the midst of unbelievers. The word Gentiles here is, in this context can also be understood as unbelievers. So as we take action internally by waging war against our sinful nature, we are also called to, an ex to externally live out the implications of our new life in Christ. Just as we saw in verse 9 where we are to proclaim the excellencies of our God through our word, Peter is now calling us to live out our identity through our deeds. He calls us to live honorably. And by that he means to live a life that honors God. See, understanding that we belong to God and that our identity is wrapped up in Christ is knowing now that our lives no longer belong to us. Remember the purpose of our existence now from last week? It's to bring glory to the triune God who saved us. So, in every interaction with other believers and with non-believers, our goal is to glorify Christ. There is never not a time now in our lives when this isn't what we aim for. Because of who we are now, our lives, the way we live, it matters. Are you a Christian business owner? The way you deal with and treat your employees, the way you deal with and treat your customers, it matters. Are you a Christian plumber? I was. The way you conduct yourself on the job site and the quality of your work, it matters. Do you hold a public office? Well, how you serve your community and how you serve those who elected you, it matters to God. As a neighbor, it matters how you treat and interact with those in your neighborhood. Seek to bring glory to God in all you do, realizing that you are not your own. You are an ambassador of Christ and his kingdom, and yes, all that you do matters. It matters because, as Peter says, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We understand that we will be the objects of slander and mockery. I take that. The unbelieving world will look at us, and because of our faith in Christ, they will say that we are the evil ones. Okay, I can accept that. 
They'll say that we are the problem with society. It happened in the first century and it's happening today. It just comes with the territory. Our response, however, is as Peter says in chapter 3 of the same book in verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. When the man or woman in Christ encounters insults or slander, the response is always love and kindness. We don't respond with counterattacks. When family members or friends hurl hurtful words towards us across the Thanksgiving table, we respond with grace and mercy. When friends and co-workers say untrue things about us or intentionally go out of their way to make our life hard, we bless them. We do this in hope that through our commitment to love God and love neighbor in the long term, not only will they come to see that their accusations are false, but by God's grace that some may even start to consider who this man Jesus is and what he's done. Ian Hamilton says in his book, The Gospel-Shaped Life, we are to live seeing the enemies of God and the gospel as men and women God loves and holds his arms out to save. God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He even pleads with them to lay aside their enmity, to repent and come to his son, Jesus Christ. God is rich in mercy, and so also must his people be. We are to love our enemies and do them good and not harm. We are to pray for them and go out of our way to win them to Christ. You understand that when we make the glory of God our aim in everything that we do, when we commend the gospel by how we live, we do so in hope that others might come to see the beauty, the worth, and the value of Christ. And in doing so, we pray that some might come to faith in Him. Peter alludes to this in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, in the context of marriage, where the wife has come to faith before her husband, who is still an unbeliever, he says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Once again, we see that as believers, how we live it matters. Paul Tripp says, the greatest apologetic for the truthfulness of Christianity is your life, a transformed life. Many non-believers will be witnesses to your transformed life, and out of those, many, some may come to faith in Christ, and they will glorify Him on that day when He returns.
You see, we glorify him with our lives so that others may glorify him with theirs. That is why we exist. That is why we recreate well, what we were created for. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. But this is not just a bare command or imperative to sanctification and mortification and holy living in and of itself. This is a call that is grounded in the prior mercies of our triune God. Ian Hamilton again says, Gospel imperatives to godliness are never bare commands, but commands that highlight and are rooted in our new identity as men and women who have died with Christ and have raised with Christ to a new life. He, God, chooses not to constrain obedience by divine fiat only. Rather, he resolves to woo them to life, to a life of believing, obedience, by reminding them of his great grace to them. So brothers and sisters, remember the great grace and mercy that the Lord has shown you in Jesus Christ. It is his perfect obedience, his sinless life, his honorable conduct, and his resurrection, new life power that are now ours through faith in his life, death, and resurrection. So Christian, by the grace of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit, wage war against your sin. Live lives that honor the Lord Jesus so that others may be drawn into the household of God and may glorify him. For he alone is worthy. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you once again for the great honor and privilege, Lord, to just come up here and share your word with your people whom you care about and whom you love. Lord, I just pray that your word goes out, Lord, that it lands on fertile ground, Lord, and that we become people eager to live out our new identity and love you and love others because of all the great mercy that you have shown to us and so that others may be drawn in to the household of God and worship you and glorify you forevermore. In Jesus' name, amen.